You know, the challenge that I faced in my career is that you're kind of hired with this underlying expectation that you will have a very clear mechanical approach, that you will be able to deduce insights that they weren't already aware of, and that you can give answers uh, to the organization that they can take forward. That's traditionally been what the market and the buyers have wanted. More and more now I'm seeing a shift, um, particularly through digital disruption to new ways of working that challenge the older consulting models. And I think the more we can bring your world and our world together, the greater the innovation and the greater the, 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 the power of moving forward is, is going to be. You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tuesday Ryanhart. And I'm Tim Merry. This week on the podcast, we get to interview Jacob Watkins. Yay! Jacob comes to us from Zurich, Switzerland, where he works with PricewaterhouseCoopers. Why are we interviewing Jacob today? Well, for me, it's just been this remarkable meeting of worlds and people where we've been we've been working together on an initiative over the last nine months with the International Red Cross. And, and both of us have come in, I think, from distinctly different views and understandings and approaches to how change happens. And what's happened, uh, which wasn't necessarily what we expected, has been an incredibly rich uh, kind of like field of learning, I think, uh, between the between the three of us, uh, and uh, and so it was just exciting to invite Jacob onto the podcast and begin to open up to the world a little bit of what we've been discovering together. Yeah, I would say Jacob. I'll just kind of you know to bring you into the conversation. Like I feel like you're one of the people we're learning with right now, and that's such mm-hmm. an important part of our our work. Um, is yes to work with systems change and and have equity at the center. And also we realize that we're learning uh, with every bit of work we do, with every project, with all of the new people we're in. But very specifically, we're learning a lot with you. And it's really got us jazzed and excited and um, wanting to share that with folks. It feels like you keep us right on our edge. And so we wanted to have you in to talk about that a little bit. Super happy to be here. Thank you. Maybe we could start somewhere near the beginning with kind of like meeting us in Geneva at some point and some early pitch meeting that we had, you know, and, uh, and, and where we started off and, and what the kind of expectations or nervousness or excitement was when we, when we first met. And then we can get a little bit into what we learned as we went along. I guess for me, it was a really interesting experience to be in uh, our pitch with a client, speaking to them about some of the challenges that they have currently, and to be asked the question, would you be up for working with another consultancy on this project? Right. And, mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. it's not like we had a heads up when we walked into that meeting. And so to paint the picture, there was myself as the as the engagement leader and my partner and, uh, and our little team in tow, as you might expect, as a consulting team kind of walk onto client site to have their, their first introductory meeting. And so this question just came totally out of the blue. And I think quite deliberately, to see whether it would put us off guard or not. And I, I, I kind of smiled and I lit up a little bit and I, and I thought, you know, for, for us to be sitting here 
as as specialist management consultants in the field of operating models, organizational design, in the in the field of how do you take strategy and realize that in an operational and tactical way in an organization. We kind of come from a place of comfort. And so to be to be kind of knowledgeable subject matter people in these topics to then have that question, I was extremely intrigued because I thought, geez, for them to be asking this question, they must have found someone with something unique. And I'm kind of, I'm cautiously optimistic about what that might be, right? Well, you said something in one of those early meetings, I remember, you know, and that's when I first started being like, oh, this might work, was... um, uh, you made this identification, and 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 I remember you kind of naming us as kind of people who are bringing expertise and skill and process around systems right. change, right? And that what what were you uh, uh, particularly, but I think also Price Waterhouse Coopers were bringing into the game was this kind of ability for like mm-hmm. analysis. Right. And kind of like organizational assessment and an analytical approach. Right. And I can't. But you made this. Do you remember, Choose? I do. In making that distinction yeah. in the room. It was a beautiful. And, it was kind of a beautiful. Yeah, it was an intervention. Quite wasn't brave. It? I, I just thought quite brave. Right. Intervention you, yeah. you made. You were like, well, if, you know, if you want this, you know, if you want to end with an operating model, this is what we'll give you. If you want to do systems change. This is what they can give you. And you weren't saying choose. You were just actually making a really clear discernment. And I think the client came back and said, yeah, we want both. And that was amazing. It was kind of like, oh, they want both. And um, and so they kind of uh, asked both of us to to consider working together, which I think was uh, also, um, you know, you, I guess we could have seen it as like wanting your cake and eating yeah. it too. But I actually think they saw something quite special, right? They saw the possibility of something quite special. And so I give them a lot of credit for um, – for trying something really different because there was a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of skepticism on whether we could blend approaches and, and work together. I think they, they saw the genuine need for both within their own system too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing that's become apparent to me over the last nine months is like, actually, both approaches were needed. Yeah. So I think, again, I'm casting my back, my mind back into the room with, with the both of you and with the client and with, with some of our other specialists all around. And it would have been really easy to go down the academic rabbit holes that the, the worlds that we each come from have. So, so from the world of management theorists, from the world of organizational design and operating model design theories, which, you know, the strategy houses and the big four consulting house, uh, houses and, and, and even some of the mid-tier consulting firms globally all have approaches to tackle these problems. Um, and of course, we, and, and these are the views according to Jacob Watkins, may or may not reflect the views of PwC, by the way. There's my fine print. Thank you very much for that clarification. So I've, I've had experience inside Big Four Consulting and outside Big Four Consulting. So I'm talking generally. We have these, these tried and true methodologies that take you through your typical, okay, what is the current state? What's the as-is analysis? What are, what's the root cause analysis here? What's the fact base by which that we're moving forward on? Uh, let's get to the bottom of all the analytics and get to the bottom of all the assumed people issues and conduct a series of interviews and – 
and then we will come out with something that looks and fits the framework that we're used to working with. And if we synthesize all of that down, it's like we will increase the alignment between your people, your systems, and your structures, and that will increase your organizational effectiveness. And it's kind of like that that formula that's been around for uh, the, the, the past sort of four or five decades in the management consulting world. Um, and it takes various forms. But what was cool was rather than just us banging that drum, I think on both sides, what I felt was there was an openness for us to kind of try and get under the skin of what what is systems thinking. And I, I've done a little bit of reading, but I haven't mm-hmm. seen it used particularly well in practice before. Um, and certainly not by people that were able right. to give live examples mm-hmm. of where it's worked. And on the other side, we were we, we were just kind of, it felt like two fists coming together and smacking each other. And it was, it was like, how on earth do we get, even our nomenclature was different. How on earth do we get these worldviews kind of into some form of symbiosis? Mm-hmm. And I think making that call and just saying, okay, let's put it on the table in black and white. Do you want an operating model, which will give you a set of results and outcomes? This is an approach to do it. If you want an operating system, mm-hmm. I fully believe that the, that the outside have the approach to do that. We, like what, <laughs> what call do you want to make? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was a great moment. I just felt like there was um that it was almost like the honesty in the room just like ratcheted up, right? Oh, we're in it, right? We're really going to talk about what's here. It was a really great moment of intervention. But Jacob, I want to take you back a little bit. And I don't know if you were expecting this. <laughs> this wasn't on the list of questions we wanted to ask you. But it occurs to me that I remember saying actually to Tim, like, well, I don't know if we can work with PwC, but I feel like we can work with Jacob. So it was like, it was actually quite personal about who you are. And so I'd love to ask you a little bit about who you are, because you came into that meeting, right? Clear, discerning, but also really open. And so I'm curious, like what in your experience, uh, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and how you came up and how you came with an openness and curiosity to a meeting that could have been just, I want to prove that we're the right we're the right people for this job, but you came different. And what's Uh, that about? Good question. Thanks, Tuesday. So to answer that, I think Mm. I, I go back to very early on in my career and, and it only took me three years to have uh, in, in my professional career, straight out of uni, straight into financial services, I'm Australian by birth. I was working in Sydney. I worked next door to the Australian Stock Exchange and I was a foreign exchange trader. And so I very quickly learned within just a few years mm. that, that making money and, and earning commissions and making sales and, and trading was not enough intellectually. It was not enough mm by way of helping people or seeing a meaningful change made because of what I was doing. And so on, on the back of that, I, I got, uh, and I guess it was an early midlife crisis. I got very grumpy. I got very bored. I really disengaged with people and what I was doing and I was going out of my mind and I, and I bring it all down to actually a, 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 a boredom. And that's not, because the, the the money markets aren't complex and crazy and entertaining all at the same time. It's just because there was nothing more than that. It was that, that's what it was. And, and so um, 
you know, I was inspired by some of the writings of Tim Ferriss with the four hour work week and other, other kind of other guys like this who were putting different ways of thinking out there okay. into the world. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, my version of run away, running away and joining the circus was to go and try doing a technology startup, which, which we built and pitched and launched and it got bought by an accelerator and then very quickly dissolved because, uh, the, the purchaser acquired the sole Australian distributorship for uh, a competitor product out of the US. And so, and so I kind of went through all of that and mm. my pitch, my pitch for this went on YouTube and I, and I was having fun again. I was, I was not a coder. I was not a graphic designer and I was in amongst these ah. guys with, with this team. I had no idea how deep their skill sets went, but they were coming up with things that I couldn't come up with. And I was helping drive them forward in a way that they were lost in. And, and we kind of, we just melted together and we formed this really amazing group. Ah. And I, I got a phone call one day and I was still in trading at the time as well. I got a phone call one day from an Australian management consultancy and literally they said, ah, Jacob, you know, we are a a boutique. I won't mention the name, but we're a boutique uh, Australian management consultancy. How would you like a job where we can guarantee you will never be bored? That was their opening line. And I basically said, so can I see you at 9am tomorrow then? And that was it. It was, it was, you know, within, within uh, a couple of months, I was then (laughs) in management consulting and I was learning from inspiring people from different walks of life. And and it was the learning journey that really got me excited. And it was being thrown into difficult problems that required diverse skill sets to come together and solve that I really thrived off. And then from there, my career kind of took me to, to PwC in London, uh, uh, where I worked for four years. And now uh, and now with PwC, setting up a new team in Zurich in Switzerland. So I, I whilst it wasn't specifically the one firm, but the promise remains true. And that is in this field of work, there's been like, uh, everyone has made good on that promise. I've never been bored and I've got to tackle really difficult problems. So when I was with, in that room with you guys, it wasn't, it wasn't just the client problem that I was thinking about. It was, uh, how cool would it be if we could figure out how to make this work? Mm. Like aside from being really impactful with a client, like just how could we actually bridge the seeming gap that sits between our two worlds and that seemed like a problem that was worthy of worthy of attention and time and energy all right you two so so (laughs) okay (laughs) this is great i love it and so let's talk about the gap a little because i want to make sure we've got time to get into like you know the learning and the kind of mashup that's taken place but like let's actually just articulate the gap for the listeners you know what is distinct about PwC and Jacob Watkins, right? And the outside and Tim Merry and Tuesday Reinhardt. Like what's the distinct, what's the best way to describe the different approaches or mindsets or worldviews that we're bringing into play? And, and either one of you could go first, but like, I'd love to just, just hear, a li- let's pull that apart a little bit. There's, there is a divide and we worked across it and we're still working across it, but what's the divide? What's, what's on either side? couple of things come to mind immediately and that was you know the gap was okay i think i think if i can manage my internal stakeholders my 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 pwc colleagues to keep an open mind around this i think we can we can get to a meeting of minds but 
but I don't know Tim and Tuesday yet. You know, this is going right back. I don't know who these guys are. They talk a great mm. game, but I don't know who they are. they going to kind of come and help me move in their direction? And are they going to come a little bit in to understand where I'm coming from in my direction? So that was kind of the part of the gap number one. And then part of the gap number, the, the number two point for me was we spoke with different business language nomenclature, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, you know, mm-hmm. process for you means something different for me. Uh, operating yeah. model is different <laughs> to operating system, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Participation and engagement is totally different for you than it was for me <laughs> three months ago or six <laughs> months ago, right? That is true. That is true. Tuesday was was passionately describing power and equity in the room while I was passionately describing strategic realization through organizational design structures and process. And we're going, okay, this feels like two different things. Right. Yeah, that's right. I think that is a great way. That's a great way to say it. It just was, um, in some ways we wanted a lot of the same ends, but our ways of going about them were completely different. If I just think about something like um, the data or analysis, right? So PwC, the the process you use Mm -hmm. is quite rigorous, mm-hmm. right? It's quite outlined, you know, um, and and we're more toward developmental evaluation, which is iterative and emergent and, you know, and has a different piece than summative evaluation. And so for me, the evaluation piece is where things have, and the, the data piece is where things have come together quite beautifully yeah. because the data PwC uh, delivered from the organization and the data we got from doing interviews overlapped it wasn't it wasn't in any way in conflict with each other and yet there were different 90% of it overlapped and 10% of it different d- didn't and so we needed the 10% that pwc brought right to understand the organization and we needed the 10% that our narrative data brought so it was like it was just you could just begin to see the complementary like a lot of it was an overlap but that 10% that was different uh was quite important right and so that's yeah. what i would say um there was kind of a difference in, um, you know, we talk about having a living systems worldview, right? And so, like our, that's what our work is based in, living systems. And so, Jacob, I don't, I don't want to label the worldview that you have. It's been mechanistic, but I'm not sure that's exactly accurate. Um, and so, there are kind of different worldviews of ways of coming at the problem. And then I think this equity piece. It was really interesting, Jacob. You and I had a conversation early where. Um, you know, the equity piece comes out so powerfully for us because we focus on it and we think about it. And I remember you giving me an example and you said, yeah, you know, we don't really like our data doesn't really talk about that. And then you gave this beautiful example of um, the way that the organization we're working with can only use a particular profession from one country. And I was like, oh, that's an equity issue. You all have it. You know it. You're just not labeling it in that way. Right. right? If we talk about the structural equity, you're uncovering issues of structural equity inequity, but you're not necessarily talking about them in that way. And so it, my sense is that um, on the outset, it looks really, really different, right? And it could be applied really, really different. And it could be, and never the two shall meet. Uh, but with this particular group of human beings, we figured out that there is actually a lot of overlap. And the places where we don't meet is like actually some great places of richness and learning. Yeah. And for me, Tuesday, that was like one of the moments that really mattered. And and there was an aha moment in there for me where I went, you know, this thing that we've felt all along is going to work. 
this is for me when it started to work and it was like, this definitely is on the right track, particularly when we saw the overlap, but not an entire overlap. I loved that Mm -hmm. because, Mm -hmm. because suddenly I could see things that were coming out of, of the way you were doing your data gathering through the interviews and through the, through the, through the kind of the sensing side of things. And you labeled a couple of really meaningful truths that were in existence in the organization. Maybe truths is the wrong word, uh, you know, but they but they were they were articulations of a problem that pure data analysis never would have uncovered. And and that was awesome. And I was also relieved to see that some of the rigorous analysis also uncovered one or two things that purely the sensory side didn't didn't quite get its right. its its hand around entirely mm-hmm. and we were able to name yep. that really quickly actually for the organization mm-hmm. yeah. and i think that gave them the aha moment and the confidence as well so that was a that was a cool moment for me absolutely you know choose when you were just getting into that piece between oh it's emergent or it's mechanistic you know it's uh it's curious it's rooted in curiosity you know or it's rooted in giving people answers right i feel like often Right, the the particular worldviews that uh, our two different organisations are coming from, but also we as individuals arrived into this initiatives with each other are set up as adversaries. You know, they're set up as like competing worldviews in the world where one has to win for there to be true progress of the human species, mm. or true progress of systems change, or true progress in organisational development. You know, and I think one of the things that I'm discovering that has been quite rich which which is really visible in what you're saying in how the data mapped out you know but i think it's actually mapped out uh in the kind of approach to the initiative overall you know is actually choosing one or the other is almost like that's the worst choice like that's the worst choice that what we actually and i think this would be true of our work everywhere choose mm-hmm. do, do you know what i mean mm-hmm. is that like we're, i think in many ways we're deliberately trying not to choose we're deliberately trying to create the conditions for multiple conflicting perspectives to come together and figure things out they could never figure out on their own and so if we aren't able to do that in how we partner to deliver the work how on earth could we be asking the people who we're bringing together to do that, mm-hmm. you know? So I think one of the beauties, like one of the real beauties of this particular initiative is that is that in a very fundamental way, we've been modeling, right? The practice we've been inviting people into, mm-hmm. you know? And in a very visible way. And like, and there's some real authenticity to that. There's some real hope to the future for that. There's some real integrity in the invitation to the leaders within the organization to rise to the opportunity when we, as the external, the outsiders to the organization come in and uh, and turn up that way. I do, how does that land for the two of you? Yeah, I I I mean, I agree because and and it's quite it's quite a nice way of stating it. I think the challenge, you know, the challenge that I faced in my career, particularly in in working with clients when it comes to big four consulting or strategy house consulting um, is, is that you're kind of hired with this underlying expectation that you will have a very clear mechanical approach that you will be able to deduce insights that they weren't already aware of and that you can give answers 
uh, to the organization that they can take forward. That's kind of the more traditional consulting USP for the for the for the big firms. You don't necessarily need to hire. Can you just yeah. try? Mate, could you just translate USP? Oh yeah, for sorry. Listeners? So um, it's it's your u- unique selling uh, proposition, right? Your, mm, your, right, your right. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. what makes you special? And I guess that's traditionally been what the market and the buyers have wanted, and so that drives a particular modus operandi, a way of working for for people within big mm. consultancies. And so there is more and more now I'm seeing a shift. Um, particularly through digital disruption to new ways of working that challenge the older consulting models. So I'm seeing that shift. And I just, I, I like the way um, that you articulated bringing, bringing kind of, I, I, I see myself as the outlet you describe in your work, right? Within, within a dominant system. And I think the more we can bring your world and our world together, for, for, <laughs> for lack of better words, um, the greater the innovation and the greater mm-hmm. the, the the power of moving forward is is going to be. I think it's exciting. Yeah, I would agree, and I just a hundred percent. And I think um, for me, Tim, it's like a chance to live our rhetoric right about around exactly. difference and around exactly. uh, working together with m- multiple worldviews. And I think Jacob, just the last thing you said, you know, it produces this uh, opportunity for innovation. I think that we've seen this in this particular project. We came up with, uh, you know, kind of a new conception of an operating system together, right? It was right. absolutely um, you, me, Tim, the client, our thought leader, Deborah Fries, our visual person, Ola, I don't remember his last name because I'm terrible. Chris Sordenson. There you go. Uh, it was actually <laughs> something that um, all of us kind of conceived of and developed together. Right. Yeah. And that was, you know, I think it's almost like that was definitely a, a sum of the a more than the sum of the parts. Right. That that actually right. that kind of innovation happened. And so I think it's not only an idea, it's living our rhetoric, but it's actually for me resulting in better work that I can like concretely point to. We developed something that hadn't been in the world before that seems to really support and help the client. And so that's really exciting to me. And, and that seems to come down to something you pointed out really early on as one of the major gaps, Jacob, which is like, I don't know you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I neither know you nor trust you, <laughs> but it's really intriguing. And so there's some kind of like fundamental curiosity right. mm-hmm. that has to, be in the, has to be in the individuals when they arrive. Because just as much as there is dogma around practice in PricewaterhouseCoopers, there is dogma around practice in the world of dialogue, deliberation, mm-hmm. and participation. Yeah. Absolutely. And in the world of social justice and equity. For sure. You know, and and all of that dogma actually gets in the way of us being able to discover something new, to discover something that truly serves the circumstances we're in. Because then all we're trying to do is convince people that we're right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Rather. Yeah. Right. Rather than actually learning, rather than learning and discovering and, and, and creating something together that we all own and therefore we all want to succeed. And uh, which is, of course, a big shift in the consulting model Shoot. where you move from doing things for people to doing things with people to figuring it out together. And, and, and uh, so I just think uh, uh, I think there's something quite remarkable, at least, you know, in the fields of practice I have come from. This is a very unlikely marriage of organizations and of worlds and of models and of ways of thinking and um 
and uh, and I think for a good part of my career, you know, the big four have been articulated as the enemy. You know, and uh, and and uh, and I think Jews. There are many who would say we have sold out. Oh, for sure. By agreeing yeah. to work with an organization like PricewaterhouseCoopers. Yeah, what we're discovering is quite the opposite. It's making like our work what better. We're discovering it's improving our work. Mm-hmm. It's increasing our capacity to uh, uh, to serve the needs of the people that we're working with. I mean, this is the International Red Cross. These are people who are working with conflict and post-conflict situations. This is good work, exactly. you know, and together we are advancing it, you know, and uh and uh, I can't, I can't think of a better way of leveraging my knowledge and my skills and my life experience so far to serve future generations, other than like bringing everything I can to bear, right? And the relationships I'm in to bear to do what's right in front of me. And I feel like that's what we've done. And so, uh, yeah. So I just, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we've done together, both in terms of the work itself, but the breaking down of the barriers in our own worldviews and in, and between our own organizations. I think there's, you know, our client has talked about the, the operating system we've developed as being groundbreaking, right? But I actually think it's not just the output that's been groundbreaking. It's actually the collaboration that's been groundbreaking. It's the, it's the combined approach. I, I, I love it. And there's just a couple of things I'd want to add Tim, because I think to, maybe help bring that to life a little bit. I have, I have seen some of the most brilliant uh, management systems and management theorists that have existed in the 70s and 80s that have not made mainstream education, that have not made mainstream business school uh, uh, study and research because the dogma got in the way, because of having to prove the theory right so many times. Mm-hmm. It absolutely mm-hmm. got in the way to actually living and breathing what you guys talk about so much, which is the participation and the innovation that comes out of the meeting of multiple minds to create something far bigger and better and uh, and more interesting, actually, than what any one individual could, right? And so that, for me, is amazing. The other thing I want to say on the back of what Tim said is – is really if you just go in and and maybe I'm calling this out a little bit, but if we just went into this client and we uh, just had an analytical approach, we just ran our operating model approach, I know that I would have delivered, and I speak with a lot of confidence when I say this, a great process framework, some fantastic organizational redesigns and structures that would that would theoretically serve the institution in amazing new ways and completely align the organization in a new way that, that would absolutely be more fit for strategy and and i i can i can say that with confidence but Mm -hmm. would anybody have ever adopted it or given it a second thought in three to six months Mm. now i've been here (laughs) now i've been with these guys for for you know the the past since the beginning of this year and i've seen them and we've interacted Mm. with them and i've Mm. been part of your approach i don't believe so I honestly don't believe so. I think it would have been, yep, good piece of work. It would stay at the top levels. We'd all get a pat on the back. It would go on a shelf. And then, you know, in 18 months time, how much of it would be, would be realized? I, I am really unsure. 
because and what's what's the most interesting for me is from the analytical research that we did the 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 diagnostics we did with the organization particularly around you know the 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 organizational dna where we dove into where the organization's preferences for the the formal components of what we would call an organization governance decision making structures roles accountabilities or the informal, you know, what motivates us, what are our norms and values and networks. Just on that piece of analysis alone, we could see that the organization is values driven. It relies on its networks and norms, and it so sits on the left-hand side, the, inf- the informal side. And, and you know what? More and more with private clients, so not humanitarian, but private clients that I have seen over the last 12 months, more and more the organizations are becoming less formally driven as people try and work outside of you know the old dominant structures that they've had in place we see it in the banking industry in switzerland and in the uk and uh, in australia we see it in the mining industry particularly in australia and south africa we see it all over the world so i'm i'm super excited by the fact now that we can we almost have like a duality in the voice that we go to the client with for the people that already understand the human nature and living systems just through their natural way of operating and their natural worldview. Because some of us do, right? There are some people that just get it immediately. We know that from, I know that from just observing some of the people at the, at the Red Cross working with you guys, they just get it. And there are other people that just get the world that Mm -hmm. I kind of come Mm -hmm. from, the, the world of the analytical, the foundation, the methodologically driven world. And they need to hear the rational sensibilities of deep analysis. Mm -hmm to help get them to the same point right so when you when we and i just wanted to explain that because that's what actually happened we had people that just got living systems and people that just wanted to see the analysis but when we actually brought that together and tim you coined the phrase to accelerate provoke and inform and i love that the the group of individuals that were selected in this organization that made such a huge impact because we could speak to, to everyone in the room with a greater breadth than I think we could if either of us were individually alone with that group. I love it, Jacob. That's exactly, I feel, mm. you know what? I don't have anything to add. That is a perfect place to stop. I feel like you just said beautifully what the work is about mm. and how we've met people um, and uh, how we've been met and how we've met each other. Jacob, one of the things we ask uh, the folks that we interview is to share with us um a song or a poem that they're into right now, something that moves them or just excites them. And so we'd love it. Do you have a song for us today? I do. Um, I do indeed. It's a bit of an obscure one, but it's an absolute favorite of mine. Um, <laughs> we love obscure. We love it's, obscure. <laughs> it's And, and, Bizarrely, uh, I was listening. This is the last song that I played on my on my iPhone on 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 uh, iTunes, right? And bizarrely, it is unbelievably fitting. And this wasn't even intentional. So the song is called mm. "In Gold," and it's by uh, a band called Submotion oh. Orchestra. Um, and and they are a fantastic set of musicians that blend modern electronic, really chilled out modern electronic with incredible vocals and instrumentals Mm. and so i really i've I've seen them live actually in the uk and they're they're phenomenal 
and I think why why I'm so happy that this happened to be my song choice, it kind of sums up. So so the the chorus is too close to know to let go to hold for now let's stay in gold uh, uh. and I love that. So nice. I feel like that's. I feel like that's quite fitting. Fantastic. That does feel quite fitting, and I'm so excited to listen to it, Jake, because we had a Thank little, we had a few moments the last time we were together where we were feeling the same kind of music, or not feeling the same kind of music too. So uh, I can't wait to listen. I love that moment where you and I were both deeply critical. Yeah, that of was Tim's fun. Song choice. That was really that fun. Was... <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. think that was a, yeah exactly. I think it was a Saint Germain, wasn't it? It was a Saint Germain or something. Tuesday was like, "This is Tuesday." Was like, "This is making me anxious." It was, the, it was like the intro track, and it's a yeah. dance song. Yeah, exactly. Shoes. <laughs> I don't have a poem this week. I just had a little look. Do you have something at your fingertips that would speak to? Yeah, I have a poem. It doesn't exact exactly speak to. Um, our topic today, but I actually just heard it yesterday. And I actually just heard this poet yesterday, and she kind of set me on fire. And so I'm going to read um, uh, an excerpt from one of her poems that she shared. Um, her name is Laylee Long Soldier. And um, she's a Lakota woman. And she's writing about uh, this, whereas an excerpt, she's writing about the apology that the US gave um, to indigenous folks here. And uh, it's a, uh, and it was quite a insufficient apology. And so she wrote a whole book where she talked about <laughs> both the apology that was given and then apologies in her life, right? And what makes a real apology. And so I was thinking about actually yesterday as she was talking, I was thinking about the two loops, right? And dominant system and emergent system and thinking about um, what is the responsibility of the dominant system uh, around apology and amend making um, as we move into the new system. So that's, uh, anyway, it just struck me. So I'm going to read the poem. It doesn't have to do with what we talked about today, but it's beautiful. And uh, so I'm just going to share it with you all. So this is called Whereas, it's an excerpt. Whereas I heard a noise I thought was a sneeze. At the breakfast table, pushing eggs around my plate, I wondered if he liked my cooking thought about what to talk about. He pinched his fingers to the bridge of his nose, squeezed his eyes. He wiped. I often say he was a terrible drinker when I was a child. I'm not afraid to say it because he's different now. Sober, attentive, showered, eating. But in my childhood, when things were different, I rolled onto my side, my hands together as if to pray, locked between knees. When things were different, I lay there for long hours, my face to the wall, blank. My eyes left me, my soldiers, my two scouts to the unseen. And because language is the immaterial, I never could speak about the missing, so perhaps I cried for the invisible, what I could not see, doubly. What is it to wish for the absence of nothing? There at the breakfast table as an adult, wondering what to talk about, if he liked my cooking, Pushing the invisible to the plate's edge, I looked up to see he hadn't sneezed. He was crying. I'd never heard him cry, didn't recognize the symptoms. I turned to him when I heard him say, I'm sorry. I wasn't there. Sorry for many things. Like that, 
curative voicing, an opened bundle, or medicine, or birthday wishing. My hand to his shoulder. It's okay, I said. It's over now. I meant it. Because of our faces blankly. Because of a lifelong stare down. Because of centuries in sorry. Thank you, Tuesday. That is a beautiful poem. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. She's amazing. Well, that's it for this episode of Find the Outside, the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. If you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com. And I just heard that we actually do, you know, check our email. So you could email us as well. <laughs> you, can, you can also find any links to the resources, poems, songs, or books we mentioned during the show in the show notes for this episode over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast or in the description of the podcast or the podcast app you're listening to us on. All the songs we played in today's show, Jacob's wonderful recommendations, all the songs from the previous uh, uh, season, um, they're over on Spotify on the playlist. Just search Find the Outside uh, and you'll find it and we're right there. It's a fantastic list. I actually just send it to a bunch of my friends. Did you? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. This episode was edited and produced by Mark Coffin at Sound Good Studio. And theme music for the Find the Outside podcast is by the illustrious Gary Blakemore. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, folks. Take care. Thanks. Bye.